You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I bring you greetings from our pastor who is um, speaking in Mount Vernon. Um, he was asked this week if he would come and speak, and he assured Brother Kramer that he would be glad to do that. And so he is serving there this morning, and we are thankful that he's able to do that. Amen? And so we are uh, going to do our best to present to you what the Lord has given to us today. Uh, the Lord is gracious and merciful and kind and only means us good. I think sometimes we're not quite sure that that's what his interest is. But I can tell you, having known him, you know, the Israelites were overwhelmed by seeing God at a distance. He was frightening to them. And they really did not want to know him. The Bible said that they, they saw his acts, but they didn't understand them. And so when they had the opportunity to talk to him and he to them, they said, Moses, we don't want to. He frightens us. We're not interested in him talking to us. And so um, they said, you talk to him. We want to go between. And they lost the opportunity to be a part of an amazing intimacy that God longed for and that they retreated from. It was too personal. It was too intrusive. And they just really didn't want to know him. And so Moses became a mouthpiece. But God said through all the prophets, and the Bible said prophecies are going to cease and tongues are going to cease. There are only things that bridge the gap between God and us. Because what God really wants is to individually talk to us. And we come here because we are in the act of discipleship. And we have to learn about who we are to learn what we can be. And Brother David, I think I took off the presentation here accidentally. So uh, either y'all can advance it for me. I don't have it on the iPad. Uh, one scripture has been troubling me, if you will. Uh, and from that one scripture, I began to search. I, I want to talk to you just a couple things before we even go to that. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 was a commandment to the children of Israel. And I'm not sure you could ever command this, but this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. How can you command somebody to love? Love them. You shall love them with all your heart, your emotions. So I want your passion. I want you to be passionate about me. Whatever your first passion is, I want it to be me. I want you to feel me. Then he said, for those who said, well, I'm not emotional. Okay, I want all your soul. I want you to know me emotionally, mentally. And then he said, with all your might. I want you to give me your physical strength. I want you to dedicate your body and how you spend its resources to loving me. That's pretty heavy. And we know very well that the Israelites failed. They didn't 
they didn't make it. You say, well, that was then, but let me tell you what Jesus said in Mark the 12th chapter and the 20th verse, and he repeated it. Thou shalt love. He said, I want you to love. Well, we know very well that love is God. God is love. And John said, we love him because he loved us. So in saying, I want you to love God, you must love God. What he is in essence saying, I want you to let God love you. Because you can't give what you don't have. And love is relational. You don't just tell people. You don't legislate love. And we are in trouble in this country because we have all kinds of laws that completely miss the point because if people loved each other, they would never treat one another like they do. But you can't legislate love. You can't make laws against greed, and you can't command people not to steal and hurt. And why is that so? Because of the power of the heart. It's a heart thing. So I'm going to talk about the power of the heart, the condition of the heart, and the contents of the heart. And I know that uh, after I finish, we're going to go have a wonderful supper prepared for us by our youth boosters and kitchen staff food committee. And then you're going to get to bid on some cakes. And so let's just think about these things for a moment. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be in your house. Open our hearts because we cannot return to you what we have not received. Captivate us, capture us, and insert yourself into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So this first scripture, and you can advance that slide for me, thank you, is Proverbs 4.23. And it's been rolling over and over in my mind because while we were gone to Hawaii, I saw people involved in all kinds of things that they obviously enjoyed and were passionate about. It's not hard to see what people's passion is, even if they're not jumping up and down. It's wherever they spend the most of their time the most of their money, their resources, is what they look forward to. That's your heart right there. And Proverbs said, keep it with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So, I mean, this is like a self-exam. And, you know, your physician will tell you, are you keeping track of your blood sugar? How's your blood pressure? Most of us dread to go to them because they hold us accountable for what's going on in our bodies. And we really don't want to talk about it. And we avoid that conversation, which in point of fact is not a criticism of us, although it may be depending on what kind of practitioner you have. They are, after all, human too. But what we're really not acknowledging is that discussion is trying to lead us into a deeper discussion of our own mortality. So that when they ask those questions, they're not trying to mess with your head. Although I can argue with you that it looks like the bottom line is the dollar often, they're still asking questions that make you think about what am I eating or not? What am I drinking or not? What am I consuming? or not, what am I doing with this physical body? That is the ultimate question. 
And so the author of Proverbs said, you better keep your heart. You need to keep a check on it. So I looked up these words because I couldn't get it out of my head. And also, I also am commanded to be diligent and watchful. You know why you weigh yourself is to see if that needle, if what you've been doing, if you've lost track of, it makes you face the reality of where you are. He said, keep it, watch it, guard it with fidelity. You know what that is? That means faithfulness. That means you faithfully check on what's going on in my heart. I can tell you this, that if all people practiced this, there would be more marriages that survived. There would be more families that are not divided. There would be more people who were in better health because what most of us do is, if it's uncomfortable, we put it away, compartmentalize, and don't deal with it until there is that last straw that broke the camel's back. And then suddenly, you find out very quickly what's been going on. I like to think of it as a heart attack. And there is such thing as a spiritual heart attack. And he said, the way you keep it is you blockade it you put a blockade up there. Wow, that was so strong. I, you know, I'd have to read, write, take a break. <laughs> it's much. Be secret. In other words, in a private place, start searching through what's going on in my heart. With diligence, it said, do it with diligence. And you know what diligence is? Like a prison guard. You're always watching to see what's going on down in here. What's the passionometer? What blew me up? What made me excessively happy? Because you know why? That first commandment tells us long before David ever sinned with Bathsheba, he sinned before the Lord. And David said, I didn't send against Uriah. I just said, David, you most certainly did. You had that man killed so you could take his wife after she got pregnant. You were unfaithful. You murdered one of your best men in your own army, all for a moment's pleasure. You're off. You owe those people reparations and apology. When David came before the Lord, he said, I sinned against you. Long before I committed the deed, you were no longer first place. Because when you love God... That means you've let God love you. And it brings a certain self-respect that the Lord would have such regard to you. How could you callously mistreat other people? He said, I want you to guard your heart like a prison guard at a guard post. I want you to observe yourself. Because from here, not here and not the hand, long before the hand or the mouth, there is the heart. He said, out of it is the outgoing, the source of life and the escape from death. As far back as Proverbs, he was saying, I want to tell you how to save your life and save your relationships. It does not start out there with everybody else and look what you did to me. It starts in here. So let's look at what the prophet said about the condition of the heart. 
Psychologists would argue this, but the Bible said it from the very beginning. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then as soon as he asks the question, he answers it. I, the Lord, search it. I try the reins. I try your will. I try, I test you. Why would you do this? To give every man according to his ways. He said, I want you to learn something about the way you do things. So I'm going to test you. I'm going to cross you. I'm going to challenge you because I want you to stop doing this and start doing this. It's for your life. Instead of blaming health issues on, it's just my genes. Well, I can't help it. He said, I want you to own what's going on in here, and I want to help you do something about it. So if you look, you'll see what is the heart, the inner man. I looked up every one of these words because I'm the wiggle worm that will try to avoid the word of God. So I denied myself any escape by looking every single thing up and letting it hit where it will. It's the inner man. It's the mind. It's the will. It's the heart. It's the understanding. It's the hidden me and the hidden you. And he said, this is what the hidden you is, according to the word of God, crooked, deceitful, and polluted. Well, I felt encouraged. Probably got up several times. Even if you don't know it, that's what we are on the inside. Not you, that's what we are on the inside. And then he said, it's desperately wicked. What does that mean? It is desperate, incurable. Everybody say incurable. Wow. Desperately wicked, woeful, very sick. Everybody say very sick. That's the condition we're in. That's what's going on in here, in my heart, in your heart. Sickness, heart sick. And then Jesus talked about the contents of the heart in Matthew. And he said, when his disciples were talking about washing their hands to keep themselves clean, Jesus said, that's not where the problem is. Your hands aren't what make you dirty. It's what comes out of your heart. Because we have a dirty heart. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, he said, what comes out of our mouths, our mouths, my mouth, your mouth, come from the heart, and that's what makes us dirty. When it's spoken, it's in there. Out of the heart, this is what comes. Evil thoughts. Not everybody is wrong, and that's how come. He said, when we're doing this, 
it's not coming from there. Guess where it's coming from? Here. The view from here is not good. It's not optimistic. The view from here is not clean and pure and holy. Are you depressed yet? Evil thoughts, murders, just hadn't been caught. Adulteries, just hadn't been committed, but they're in there. Fornications, that's illegal intimacy before God. He said, any way you slice it, it's in there. Everybody say it's in there. Thefts, stealing time. Stealing, taking things that aren't ours. It's in there. We're not taught it. It's in us. It's in us. False witness. That means blaming somebody else, lying on them. Blasphemies. Shaking your fist at the deity internally, even though you may never open your mouth. He said, it's the condition of the heart. These are the things which defile, pollute, and we're wily. We are wily. Everybody in here can justify anything you've ever done. All of us can. But here is what's amazing. There is an answer in the power of the word. And I know Bishop spoke about he sent his word and healed them. And when I began to think about this, the condition of our hearts, and we're preparing for Easter, and you're going to hear about that. We are going to be presenting the story of Jesus' life, his brief time on earth, just highlights of it, then his death and his resurrection. And we're going to have three performances, April the 7th at 7, April 8th at 1, and April 8th at 7, and that's going to be it. And there's no cost, but you will have to register. You'll have to have a ticket to come in and you can register online. This is what the Bible says, the Word of God. And as I began to read it, I just wept because you remember the story in Revelation where John, who's been boiled in oil, sees the first 360 film on the big IMAX screen. That's what Revelation is. And he's writing. He's, he's, he's overwhelmed by seeing things, no doubt, some of them technological, and he can only describe them in terms of animals and the earth and things he's familiar with. And then he starts crying because there's a little book that's going to address all the wrongs of the world, all the brokenness. And the book appears and a voice says, who's worthy to open it? And John stood waiting. Surely it'll be Moses, Abraham. And he goes through the list of people he knows and he starts crying because there's nobody since the beginning of creation until John that can say, I'm clean. See, it's not enough to be clean here. Jesus said, this is not the issue. He said, this is. And he started crying. All of his Bible heroes, Daniel wasn't worthy. Didn't have a clean heart. Lived in captivity, did the best he could, suffered under it. Didn't have a clean heart started crying. There's nobody. I'm so despondent. And by the time he, the tears were running down his cheeks, he said, a voice came and said, don't cry. The lion of the, the lamb of the tribe of Judah, he has overcome. He's going to set things right. And then the book of Revelation proceeds. This is why we come to church to hear words 
that address and challenge this. If left to ourselves, we will never admit guilt. We won't confess until we're caught, and then we'll find a reason to explain it. And the whole purpose of getting caught is to confess. It's to own it, to admit it, so that God can heal it. When we refuse to acknowledge, we walk in, and I think all the times I want to hide under a chair as if the Lord has been reading my thoughts. <laughs> but the scripture says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Nobody walks into this congregation, sits down, and takes a cut without having to acknowledge, it's me. I'm the one. Not this. I'm coming to hear the truth while I have breath in my body. I need to get this incurable thing. I need a treatment. I need somebody to yank me out of myself and say, look here. So I wanted to look up what quick means because this sounds bloody, doesn't it? Circumcision was bloody. And yet that physical act of circumcision didn't do anything here. And it completely exempted the women. When you sit under the presence of God, however, and listen to his word, your gender is meaningless. Your age is meaningless. Your color is meaningless. Excuses are meaningless because the word is not a man judging you. It's the power of the word. It's not the orderly, the intern, or the nurse practitioner. It is the chief surgeon. You know what quick means? This shocked me. I had to write it all down. I didn't know any of this. It means living water. You're like, I will avoid that. I will make no acknowledgments about me. And yet whoever takes that first cut, oh, because most of us We'll spend time trying to cover or run from ourselves or run from our errors or run from our mistakes or run from our condition or blame somebody else because, because the despair is what's going to happen to me if I admit I can't fix it. I can't fix it. Right. But if you let the word penetrate your natural defense against anybody, because we are all defensive. We are defensive. Children don't like to be corrected, but I got news for you. Neither do adults. There's not an adult that lines up and says, let me hear the end of the year report on my job that doesn't look down and say, that's not me. I didn't do that. I'm better than that. I can do this. And I haven't met a single guilty person in my life. Nobody's guilty in prison. And nobody's guilty of breaking the cookie jar. It's just not in our nature to be honest. It's not. We'll lie our way out, justify our way out. But what's so amazing about this is when I thought quick, I thought, well, it just cut you to pieces. 
but it says it's living water. The Word of God is living water, having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. It's like a child that's been running wild for so long and finally someone grabs him and says, sit down, come here, get in this tub, take those clothes off, and suddenly, even though that kid is kicking and screaming, there is a relief. Somebody has finally stopped me. Somebody has finally shown that they care enough about me to deal with what's going on in here. And it's the word. It says it's living water. It's fresh. That living water is fresh and strong, efficient, active, powerful, efficacious. You know, that's a big efficate. That's a four-syllable word. You know what it means? It means that it does exactly what it says it will do. It's so powerful. This is the same word that was spoken, let there be light, and nobody argued. There was just an explosion. By the time I got done, I was like, Lord, please talk to me. Please just go ahead and cut me. I'll scream with the first thing, but I have a feeling that once you cut down to where I am, oh, it's, I'm, I know something fabulous is going to happen. I need it. I need it. I need this word because I have an incurable disease of the heart. Then it says it's powerful. Quick would have been enough, but it's powerful. That means it's active. Do you know what the Bible says? My word will not return to me void. All the defenses I put up against it, even if I defend myself against it, that word itself will stand at my life and go, I am speaking against you. You had an opportunity and you would not take it. That word, that day that you felt your heart clutch and the Bible said, repent, and you felt, I need to throw myself at the altar and you didn't do it. That was your exit before the bridge that was washed out. That was the cure. The moment that you, you, you could have just, if you would have just said, yes, it's me. I don't know how many of you have followed the trial of Alex Murdoch, the once prominent attorney whose family dominated South Carolina politics in their community. Got on the stand to defend himself just like he would when he was an attorney and his, and his defense crucified him. He still could not see to the bitter end that he was a murderer. He won't own it to this day. There were so many opportunities for him to exit before he got there. So many opportunities before he destroyed himself, took the lives of his wife and son. So many chances, so many exits. Confrontation is not to make you mad. Confrontation and challenge is not to set me off and send me out of church. Confrontation is to deal with what's going to kill me if I don't address it. It's going to have consequences. Nobody likes to come in church and hear that. I don't want to hear it. But I have heard it. Janice, watch your heart. Watch your heart. What comes out of your mouth is a direct connection to what's in your heart. It's sharp. 
sharper than a two-edged sword. Do you know what a two-edged sword is? The blade is sharp on this side and the blade is sharp on this side, which means that going in it cuts and coming out it cuts. And it pierces. That means all the defenses. Now, this is amazing to me. You would think that once you've been pierced, your response would be, oh, but clearly Pharaoh got up and kept going. Ten times he could have turned. But every time his heart gave just away a little bit, he'd see that scruffy face of Moses and think, you are a dog. You are so beneath me. I will never bow my knee to you or your wilderness God. And pride came right back in there, the condition of the heart. And God knew the day Pharaoh was born, he was going to have that character. And he let him go. He let him choose his way. Even when pierced. Say, why does it have to go so far? Because that's how wicked I am. It's got to get down in there. It's got to get past the excuses and the lies and the justifications and the finger pointing. It's got to get right down so that I can't squirm. God has got to get right down in my business on the inside so that I have a choice, a knowing choice to take the cure or say, sir, withdraw your sword. I'm not interested. It says it's so powerful that it goes to the dividing. Do you know there's a, just a fine line between me existing and not existing? And the Bible said it goes to the line of separation between my soul and the spirit of life. So it gets right down to my very moment of if I cut you a little farther, you'll die. That's how far it goes. I got to get in there because you're sick. I got to get in there because things aren't right inside you. Well, what about her? What about him? See, when you do that, what you're saying is, I've shut my mouth. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. Or attack the messenger. I don't like your jacket. I don't like you. I don't like your voice. I don't like your family. I don't like you. And it doesn't matter because it's the word. Then he said, if that weren't enough, it divides the soul from the spirit, the psyche from the pneuma. That's the Greek. Those of you that are psychologists, between the very essence of somebody and the very breath they breathe. And then it gets into the joints and the marrow. And that's the inward moral and spiritual being. That's not my church face. That's not how I dress it up. That's not pretty in pink. That's not a manly man. That is stripped bare of all of it. God gets right down to what condition we're in, in the heart. And then if that weren't enough, it is a discerner. A lot of people come to church, and I've heard this many times. I have felt it myself. 
well, I can't go to that church because they're judges. They judge. They criticize. They, and they never know that the judgment and the criticism is not coming from out here. It's coming from in here. Because all that vain imagination, all that, it's because there is a heart under attack. And God's trying to address it. And there's that feeling of guilt and shame and anger. And all of that is not from God. It's a heart attack. It's the condition of the heart. It discerns. It discriminates and passes judgment on thoughts and feelings. It says that's not the way you should respond to that. That thought is not true. But unless you have the word arguing with you, you and I will go home and we will believe everything we think and everything we feel. And the word will say, wrong. That's wrong. So now that we're there, what is the remedy? What can we do? Psalms 19 the power of the word on the heart. This is why I keep coming back. I already know I'm guilty. I've accepted it. I have accepted I have a terminal illness. I have accepted that I feel things that aren't true. I think things that aren't true. And I am things that aren't right. I just don't know everything. I have accepted it. And I have a wonderful advocate that argues with me on the inside. And you know how Jesus does me? Now, I don't know how he does you, but he has never abused me. He's never screamed at me. He's never yelled at me. But very quietly, when my heart attack starts and I start seeing out here, and it's everybody else, that very quiet voice, come to me. In the book of Revelation... He turns to a very wealthy church and he said, you are rich. You have so much stuff and so you don't feel your own need. He said, but let me tell you what I see you as. You are wretched. But look at me. I look fabulous. But in here, you're not fabulous. He said, you're wretched and you're poor in here and he said and you are blind you don't see anything but this and when God came to Samuel and said I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons Samuel did what we all do he looked at six foot two tall fabulous he said he's got to be the one and the Lord said this looks good. This does not. What about the next one? And Samuel did the same thing because those boys must have been very good looking. Tall, handsome, strong. Surely a crown will look good on this one. And the Lord said, I have rejected them all. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. You say, why do I care? Have you checked the weather lately? Did you know there was a meteor? Did you see the green lights that people flashed coming from Arkansas 
as it streaked across the sky. Did you notice that there are more natural disasters and the same week there was an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, that there was an earthquake in Indonesia, which is the ring of fire in the Pacific Rim where there are volcanoes under the surface. Did you know what's going on in the earth? Rocking and reeling. And the scripture is being fulfilled. Signs in the heavens. And signs in the earth. And I hear a little quiet voice. Because everywhere I looked, people were involved in pleasure and distraction. And I'm sitting there on a bench watching people enjoy themselves. And I'm looking at the clouds and I'm hearing a little voice. Keep your heart. And I did a little heart check. Lord, can I go on vacation and still be mindful of you? Because the last thing I saw before we departed baggage claim, and you, I would see this. On a beautiful poster, a man and a woman are facing the ocean. And it's beautiful. And this is the caption. Never turn your back on the ocean. Mahalo. And I'm like, there goes the vacation right there. You know what they're saying? Have you ever heard of a sneaker wave? As if I didn't have everything else to worry about. Just getting there. Now I got to worry that there's going to be a wave that's going to come up and take me and they'll never find me. It happens. It has happened. It's happening more often out of nowhere, suddenly. And the only answer I can think of to the suddenlies that produce a heart attack is a word that gets down in there before it happens and says, I got you. I need to get in you. I need to challenge the way you think about life and death. I'm going to have to cross you. I'm going to have to deal with you about your anger issues and your hatred. I'm going to have to talk to you about it. I am the great physician and you are sick. And I need to get down in there because life is going to happen to you. And ready or not, that sneaker wave could come up on you. And if you don't have something to fight with what's coming, you are going to be destroyed by your own life. I don't want to know it. Give me another Mai Tai. I don't want to hear it. Let's dance. I don't want to hear about the consequences of choices. I just want you to let me go. And besides, it's everybody else's fault. I am the way I am. And the word says, I need to get in there with some living water and change what you think about your life. I need to change what you think about your death. I need to change what you think about your family. I need to change what you think about other people. I want to change you. I want to cure your heart. So that you don't destroy so that you're not turned into a weapon of mass destruction by the words that come out of your mouth that cut and hurt and make people bleed. A matter of the heart. Verse 7 said, the law of the Lord is perfect. 
converting the soul. You know what that is? That means if it's in the Bible, it's direction, it's instruction, it's law. The Bible said it's perfect, it's complete, it's whole, it's entire, it's the cure. If you can swallow it, if you can take it, if you can digest it, if you can apply it, it says it converts. Do you know what converts means? It brings you back. It restores. It refreshes. It repairs. This is why I come. Not because I expect to be blasted. I expect a treatment that will take those dark thoughts that are lies that are coming from my own heart. And instead of seeing what I see with these eyes, my eyes are washed and I suddenly see with his eyes that all things are possible to them that believe has nothing to do with optimist pessimist facts and fiction it has to do with the word of the Lord the law is perfect and if I could get a hold of it it will convert me it will refresh me it will repair me and what is the soul it's the self the life the appetite Say, I have some appetites that aren't right. The law of the Lord, if you'll get it down in there, it'll change your appetite. Rather than justifying the appetite, what if God could clean it? What if God could heal it? What if God could fix it so that you didn't run that same vicious circle of over and over again back to the same source and the same guilt and the same shame and the same hurt round and round and round. He said, I'm telling you, I can change your soul. The testimony of the Lord. You know what the testimonies are? Those ads that come up on Facebook. I tried this and in three days I lost weight. I took this and da 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 da. If you don't need to go to the gym, all you need is da 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 da. That's a testimony. Somebody trying to convince you by the power of their words, by the power of their experience, by how well they hook into human psychology. But the Bible said the testimony of the Lord is sure. That means the words he speaks are faithful, verified. And this is what blew my mind. Do you know what testimony means? Foster father, foster mother. He said, if you will let my words get into you and you will agree with my words, when you get hit, instead of justifying, excusing, covering, uh, whatever it is, God help us. He said, if, if you will say yes, yes. He said, I'll be like a foster. My word will foster you like a father. It'll build a wall around your brain and around your thoughts. He said, I'll foster your head and I'll nurture you like a foster mother. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what you're struggling with and it is incurable. And it doesn't matter how much willpower you have. You cannot cure yourself of heart sickness. But the word of the Lord... He sent his word and healed them. This word can change you. Years of psychotherapy cannot do it. But when you begin to agree with it, I am that person. It's me. He said, I'm going to cut. You're going to cry. 
but you're going to walk out of here healed. Keep your heart. Keep your heart, Janice. That's what the blood was for. That's what's... Is it possible, though, to lose that connection and go, I know what that's all about. I don't need that anymore. It's like a patient who's living a good life because of treatment suddenly deciding because life is good, they don't have the disease anymore. Let me tell you something. Until we die, we have a sick heart. But when we stay in him... The cure begins to happen. And you know how you know when your heart's rising up again? What's coming out the mouth. The words that are being spoken. The words that are being said. But the law of the Lord is perfect. I'm going to stop right there. Psalms 19. Because I want you to know. No matter where you are or what you've done. The message of the resurrection is that. If we will accept our condition, God will save us from it. If we refuse to acknowledge ourselves by intelligence, excuses, pride, whatever keeps us away from him, then we will go to our graves with the same sick heart, having declared we are innocent till we draw our last breath. I'm going to tell you what, I'm guilty. You say, why would you even admit such a thing? Because I want the cure. Because I want the cure. He did not die in vain. He came for people like me. Who are saying, you go ahead, Jesus. It's a matter of the heart. And that gentle word he spoke to me in the middle of all that pleasure and distraction and everybody having a good time while I was watching when he said, keep your heart. He was saying, Janice, stay close to me, honey. Things are dangerous now. Watch yourself. Where is your heart? So every day I have to do a heart check. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? Whoa, wait a minute. Where'd that thought come from? Whoa, wait a minute. Where did that feeling come from? I have to pull it back in, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you close your eyes? Lord, we feel you. We feel you. You love us so much. Lord, I feel your love in this place. You didn't come to expose anybody or embarrass anybody. You love us. Your word is a lamp. A lamp. It's, it's not plugged into a wall. It's a natural flame from oil. It's a gentle, a gentle source, how you love us. Lord, we feel your abiding love. We feel it in this house. I want you to just take a moment and you talk to your God yourself. We need you, Jesus. We need you. We know you are the cure. It didn't matter if we were raised in privilege or raised in poverty. The rich man and the poor man alike have the same heart. It's a human heart, and it's sick, but you are the healer. You were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace the punishment, the spanking, the beating that we should have gotten for things we've thought and felt and said and things we've done. You took on yourself. And what 
made it so powerful is you weren't guilty of any of it. Your heart was not dirty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. such a holiness in this place.